0: Submissions podcast, the podcast that promises you a solid 15, but cuts that in half at Gorilla. My name is Michael Farrer, and today, and hopefully every time this pod is released, I'll be talking about MMA and pro wrestling from Two false Towers in a secret location. So let's start the show. I don't like Jeff Jarrett. I didn't like Double J, Ain't I Great, The Country Singer, The Chosen One. Still hitting people in the head with balsa wood guitars. I didn't like him in WCW. I didn't like him in WWF. I didn't like him in TNA. Well, I especially didn't like him in the, in TNA. Because not only was he the main eventer. He was also the boss. Double J. Always comes up smelling of roses. So when. Somehow. Somehow. He convinced the Fight Network and Anthem Sports. That he was the right man to make Impact Wrestling great again, my thought turned to old Coliseum home video releases from WWF, where people like Gorilla Monsoon would assassinate the character of Jess's father, Jerry. I don't wish to cast aspersions on Jerry. He was successful in the wrestling business and in property, but from the sounds of it, he was known to be a slick, middle Tennessee con man. So, when you plan to Make TNA great again, oh sorry, Impact Wrestling great again. Hashtag fuck Reby Hardy, hashtag we love that owl. His plans seem to be to just repeat the same mistakes they made 10 years ago, but make them 10 years on. Hire decent young talents for your ex-division, guys who you will inevitably ignore, and bring back old stars 10 years on. Sorry if this spoils anything for anybody, but big pop pump is back. Scott Steiner, who I think is now 55 years of age, is returning. I honestly and genuinely hope that they can turn that promotion around. I was a big advocate for a long time, even despite Jeff Jarrett suffocating the main event scene with a soggy blanket for so long. However, you'd please forgive me for the cynicism and pessimism I have based on the idea that Jeff Jarrett, the guy who couldn't make it happen before, is going to make it happen now. Especially considering they can't even sign guys that they wanted to push. I guess we're all just so tired of this idea that one day TNA is going to make it. The greater issue has always been that TNA never knew what it wanted to be. NWA TNA was essentially a WCW knockoff. But then, as it transitioned to dropping the NWA name, it became more of a WWE light. But they had talent and they wasted it. So many guys who have become something somewhere else because they didn't want to focus on younger talent. The promotion is 15 years old and by returning to a guy who was part of many of the problems that they had all along seems to be a regressive step. And he himself seems to be taking many regressive steps, which is a shame at a time where worldwide a different style of wrestling seems to be taking hold. And worse still for my home country of the United Kingdom He now has his hands on the reins of possibly a revival for British wrestling. And that scares me because I don't know if there will ever be another chance again. After UFC Fight Night 108, the feel-good story was not Cub Swanson's victory over hard-headed Artem Lobov, nor was it Ally Quinter's successful return after a contractual standoff against Diego Sanchez. Nor was it the return to form of Ovin Saint-Prue and his second victory with my favourite submission, the Von Flew choke. Not even Scotland's Stevie Ray still using the Brave Heart tag about 15 years after its sell-by date, winning a solid decision against veteran Joe Lozon. No. No, the feel-good story is a young man from Tijuana who works part-time in his family's piñata factory, the man with the worst nickname in the UFC, the assassin baby, Brandon Moreno, and his win over Dustin Ortiz. Back in October, he was a scrub, a nobody, a 125-pound champion from some organisation even diehards barely watch, thrown into the lion's den against the supposed number one fighter in a season of The Ultimate Fighter designed to create a fresh challenger for the indomitable Demetrius Johnson. He went out in the first round and then, at short notice, became the first fighter on a tough series to debut before the season has even finished airing, beating Lewis Smolka. At the finale, he won his split decision against Brian Benoit, who is a tricky outing in his own right, with wins against top 10 ranked opponents. Now, after three wins against ranked opponents, Brandon finds himself in the top 10 as pretty much its only undamaged, unsallied challenger. Sergio Pettis and Ray Borg may sit on higher rungs of the ladder, But Pettis lost to the aforementioned Ryan Benoit, and Borg not only lost to Justin Scoggins last year, but also missed weight in his next fight, a big no-no in UFC. It wasn't easy. Dustin Ortiz took him down repeatedly, but that scrappiness and craftiness, using underrated techniques that more celebrated fighters should use, make him a very difficult outing. The late cricketer Richie Beno would pass down advice to aspiring leg spinners given to him by Bill O'Reilly that they had to perfect their leg break so it could be both an attacking and defensive weapon. If this could be applied to fighting into Brandon Moreno, he has embraced the Kimura as his attacking and defensive weapon of choice, using it to stuff takedowns by attacking Ortiz's grip and even using it to sweep from guard into a full mount. However... Craftiness and showing savvy in the transitions is part of it, but his scrappiness won out in the second round. Both guys hung in there in the stand-up exchanges, but when Moreno dropped Ortiz with a head kick, which I genuinely think should have ended the fight, he swarmed his opponent. He locked on the body triangle and patiently found the rear naked choke for the win. Moreno now has wins behind him and momentum. The thing which you would think should hold him back, his poor English, actually factors into his wide-eyed, can't-believe-I'm-here charm, and I really doubt that next time you see him, he'll be fighting on prelims. The UFC has looked for a clean-cut Mexican or Mexican-American star for years, putting promotional dollars behind Cain Velasquez, Carlos Condit, and even Roger Huerta. However when you keep your mind open and don't push things that aren't there sometimes a draw can just drop in chill out. I just hope he's not overexposed too soon and I suppose the real bummer of combat sport especially for somebody like Dana White is people actually have to win and get some sort of credibility before they can get a title shot which brings me to my final topic Vince McMahon does what he wants. The only time he has ever not done what he wants was when he was losing money and was forced to find a new formula. I watch WWE and it's basically 1995 again, flogging a dead horse for format that is in dire need of a refresh. Part of me has to watch their shows knowing that the other part actively rejects what has become cliche in WWE over the past 15 years. Call me a traditionalist or a fuddy-duddy, but I think that when they broke all the old rules and then set up these new rules, pro wrestling lost something. It's only half their fault anyway. WCW started it by giving away matches you'd pay to see for free. Jinder Mahal was a jobber. A well-built jobber whose ethnicity seems to please WWE marketing, but a jobber nevertheless. I have no problem with taking an undercard guy, adding a couple of other guys to the act, giving him a tweak and a new finish and putting him on the fast track to wherever you want him to go. That's pro wrestling since time memoriam. The recent Hall of Fame class featured the Rock and Roll Express, two guys who were part of the furniture in tag team wrestling in Memphis that drew big once they got to other territories. However, The one thing WWE has seemingly and paradoxically rejected as a concept is that wrestling is a fake sport and should be treated as such. Wins and losses don't matter. How many times have we seen corporate stooges utter those lines on Twitter? In the wider world of what you could actually call sports entertainment, nobody cares about the Washington Generals because they always lost to the Harlem Globetrotters. They're losers, even if they did get that one weird in the 70s that nobody remembers. As an older wrestling fan, I was brought up on the idea that even WWF considered wins and losses important. Guys got worked into programs for the house show circuit or on pay-per-view based on the fact that they won. One of the cliches I so solidly reject is the six-pack challenge to be the next top contender or the beat the clock. How can I buy somebody will win when they stole a pin or got a briefcase and a clusterfuck? Wrestling worked because you either came in high up the card or you worked your way up wins mattered and I still think do to an extent no they're not everything but there's something and if WWE genuinely think wins and losses don't matter perhaps Kurt Hawkins should squash Roman Reigns in five minutes on Raw to test that hypothesis it's disingenuous in the extreme to defend guys that you protect from losses and then claim wins and losses don't matter the usual hot take seems to be something like this People aren't happy with the same faces at the top of the card, yet they moan when somebody new is elevated. These people, they're never happy. Now, I'm not sure whether these people saying these sorts of things are being contrary, disingenuous or idiotic. Even kids today brought up in this wins and losses don't matter era hate to see their favourites lose. It's something innate in wrestling fans. It is a fake sport. You can't just take a loser and treat him like a winner. Maybe. Maybe eventually people will buy Jinder Mahal's transformation into the new Tiger Ali Singh. As they eventually did with beer swilling Bradshaw's transformation into J.R. Ewing. However, at least Bradshaw had a book about investments and was a talking head on financial shows. But how will they do that with Jinder? I guess they'll have to rack up the wins both the actual ones in the ring and the metaphorical ones you get from one up your opponent in a program apparently those smart fans you hate aren't so stupid you know those smart fans who cheered and got behind all of your biggest all-time stars when they were mired in the mid card as I said this whole Jinder Mahal Bollywood Boys thing is just a retread. It's Tiger Ali Singh. It's Alberto Del Rio. It's just artless, I guess, but then again, there's little new under the sun, just a contemporary spin on old ideas. There have been concerns that this sends out a terrible message. Jack yourself up. Onroids, not onroids. I don't have an opinion either way and get a push from a promoter who will never stop loving puffed up water filled pecs. The other side of the argument, probably Triple H's side, he's good at this sort of thing, is that it's a positive to show the guys that they release that when they give you pointers and you follow those pointers that you get rewarded. To be honest I see both sides. I guess that combined with TV rights that pay the same regardless of the Nielsen ratings, and a network where subscriber numbers don't move based on fresh content, Vincent Marn is now finally and genuinely in a position where he can finally do whatever he wants and your opinion doesn't matter. His business model is scalable. And despite anemic profit margins, they can constantly harp on about record revenues as a giant smokescreen for shareholders that don't even possess a class of stock that can change things within the company. There's always something that somebody likes. There's always going to be a t-shirt that somebody will buy. And there's always something on a network that somebody out there will want to watch. Jinder Mahal can call himself... The new American dream off the cuff, but let's face it, Vince is living the oligarch's dream, which is the new normal in Chunk's new American empire. Right now, only a black swan event will take him down. And with all black swan events, we'll all be able to trace the points where I think we'll all end up quoting Ernest Hemingway, or at least paraphrasing him. How did he go bankrupt? Two ways, gradually and then suddenly. And listening to this podcast. It has been a bit of an experiment, and all comments and feedback can come to me on Twitter at Michael J. Farrell or at Two Falls, Two Subs. All music on this podcast came from the Free Music Archive, freemusicarchive.org, who provide a large archive of pod safe music. This is an interactive podcast, and we would welcome questions or feedback in touch via the twitter alternatively email us at michael.farrow at gmail.com see you again soon stay out of trouble